Acts chapter 13, if you would take your Bibles this morning. Craig, my brother, there is only one Craig Brady. I am so thankful for my brother's heart and his desire to worship with sincerity and truth. Praise God for that, and thank you, brother, for that example. And each of you who have used your gifts to minister and encourage each of us this morning. I'm excited about this text, but there's a lot in this, and so we have got to go to work on it. I would encourage you, as I read this text in just a moment, to pay very close attention. There's a lot of names, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of activity, and so I would encourage you to just block out all the busyness and hecticness of the past couple days and what you're focusing on in the days to come, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this word As he promises to do, it is alive. And it works in our hearts in amazing ways through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we will see in just a few moments. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's help as we learn and, Lord willing, grow together this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are so thankful, as we just sang, that it is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has enabled us even to come into your presence. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us, that washes us, that allows us, Lord, to be in relationship with you, a holy God. Father, I thank you for every single person, man, woman, and child, that is here in your house this morning on your day. As we are reminded of the beauty of your creative hand around us as we, as we drove here this morning. We think, Lord, that the one who has shaped all of these beautiful hills and has caused the rivers to flow, the sun to shine, it is that one that we now speak to as our own father, as as our own daddy. Lord, we ask that you would speak in a loud and a clear voice, that you would Allow us to recognize the changes this morning that must be made in our own lives. Father, I would ask that we would be reminded even in these next few moments of a lot of the focus and the silliness that is in this world. And to put that aside, and may we focus all of our attention hard on you and you alone. Father, as we move forward as a church, we are... Confronted with the text that tells us what to expect. Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would come alive. Father, that you would allow there to be a sense of clarity and speech and understanding. We ask ultimately that you would be glorified. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We pick up Acts chapter 13. I don't know if you recall or not, but the previous chapter that we were in, in in Acts chapter 12, it opened up with a pretty dark picture. If you recall, James was dead, Peter was locked up in prison, and Herod, a corrupt king, was on the throne. That's how Acts chapter 12 opens up. Acts chapter 12 closes with what? An entirely different picture. We knew that Herod was dead, Peter had been freed from prison, and the Word of God continues to reign. It is a wonderful reminder 
And I want you to hold this thought this morning that where God begins to move, nothing can ever stop it. No one will ever be able to halt the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ from going forward. What is the gospel? I use this term all the time. The gospel is what? It is the good news that we as sinners can have a relationship with a holy God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to remember the good news of Jesus Christ. There have been countries after countries that have attempted to thwart and stop the ministry of the gospel, and it cannot and it will not happen. I read just this past week in Decision Magazine that is produced by Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They reported that within the last 10 to 20 years, in the country of China alone, where they have attempted to oppress the gospel of Jesus Christ, they believe right now the number of believers just in China has surpassed some 20 million people. I want to remind you that no one can ever stop the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward. As we read our text, I want to tell you, I want to teach you what to expect as the gospel goes forward. So follow along as I read. We'll begin in verse 1, Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> Need a tic-tac, sorry. <clears throat> Here it is. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, many in a long life, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, excuse me, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, Bar or Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, we're referring to Barhesus, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Understand there's a lot that is in this text. There are more than 
ten different names that are mentioned. There are five different regions, places, or cities that are mentioned. Now let's just get a very brief understanding of the setting, if you recall. I want you to think of the Mediterranean Sea. On the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, this is where what? On the southeastern side is the city of Jerusalem. That's where it all began. We could call that kind of alpha base right there. That's where everything begins with the church. 300 miles directly north is the city of Antioch. We could call that Bravo. Okay, This is now where things are beginning to expand from, from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and now they're moving out. We're actually moving out into the Mediterranean to an island of Cyprus, two particular cities that are mentioned on that island of Cyprus, that is Salamis and Patphys. Not only do we have a lot of different places and people, but we think about the church itself that was meeting in Antioch. There's five different activities that they're all doing in this particular text, particularly in the first five verses. It says what? They were worshiping, they were fasting, they were laying on hands, they were sending people off, and they were proclaiming the Word of God. Very quickly, we get an idea of the local church And it never, ever, ever is intended or designed to what? To sit still. From Jerusalem, it expands to Antioch. From Antioch, it grows out. And people are doing many things. The church of Jesus Christ, the example that we're following from from the book of Acts, first century, to you and I, Big Woods Bible Church, 21st century, is never designed to sit and to stagnate. It was never designed to be in maintenance mode. We are never, ever, ever meant to what? Be on autopilot. Remember the pilot a couple years ago who actually what? He, he with an entire, with an entire plane filled with people, at cruising altitude, he puts the plane on, on autopilot. He actually falls asleep. Misses the entire destination. Wakes up, realizing what? We've got to turn the plane around. Big news. Okay? As a church, we never hit the autopilot button under any circumstance whatsoever. We are intended, we are designed, what? To launch forward. Local church of Jesus Christ is designed to stretch forward, to push back the boundaries, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to take on darkness, to storm the very gates of hell. And just as that old hymn says, as we probably grew up singing, many of us, rescue the perishing and care for the dying. That's what we are called to do. That's what the church is to do. That is what the church will do. It's interesting that Craig this morning made a reference to a mud puddle. We're not to be people who just kind of like sit and wallow in the mud. However, I love mud puddles. As a kid, think about a four-year-old kid, put a four-year-old boy next to a mud puddle. What is the natural thing that is going to happen? You don't have to put a lot of thought into that. Put a four-year-old kid next to a mud puddle and just say, what, you just stay right there and don't touch a thing. Is that going to happen? Absolutely not. What is, what is the natural, normal thing for a four-year-old boy to do after it rains and he goes outside to play? He's going to find a mud puddle. What's he going to do? He's going to get into it. 
He's going to splash around. He's going to kick things. And then he's going to find the mud. And then he's going to bring the mud. And then he's going to bite his little four-year-old buddies and say, come on in here. Because this right here is living large for a four-year-old boy. Right? This is as good as it gets. It's the natural thing. Take a church that lives and breathes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it into the middle of a town of people that are in desperate need. What's going to happen? What's the normal, natural thing? What we, we have got to tell people. We've got to talk about this. We've got to show people and share. We've got to care for them. We've got to love them. We don't, we don't, we don't. Sadly, many churches have just fallen prey to what? Huddling together. Holding on to one another's hands and just kind of with clenched fists. Hopefully it's just going to all be over soon. No, no, we don't do that. We don't what? We don't write checks and support missions. We are on mission. Part of it is writing checks and sending and supporting those who are abroad. But we are on mission. Chapter 13 of the book of Acts describes the early missionary endeavors of the local church. As a matter of fact, it's one of the leading chapters in all of God's Word on how we send and support out those that are going to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that they're not sitting around the laurels, patting themselves on the back, talking about the successes of chapter 12. Wow, that was really close, wasn't it? You. You are a good man. You really know how to pray. I really love those, those, those word choices that you use. They didn't do that. Not for a moment. They knew it's all about advancing for the cause of the gospel. God is active in the book of Acts. And God calls us into this realm of holy activity this morning. As it goes forward, there's four things that you must know. Don't ever be shocked or surprised when you come upon any one of these because you can mark the date and the time. This is exactly what we're going to expect as the gospel moves forward. Here's the first one. Listen very carefully. Expect the Spirit of God to call. As the gospel will continue to go forward, we continually, through the Lord Jesus Christ, push back the boundaries. We impact and influence the culture and the community that we are called to live in. You can expect the Spirit of God to call. Any church that's going to reach the world for Christ demands a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you picked up one or not. You probably did because you're an incredibly sharp audience, particularly at 8 o'clock in the morning. Three different references to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, it says what? The Holy Spirit said. Verse 4, they were sent out. By the Holy Spirit. It describes one in verse 9 who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Anything that is repeated, we listen to. You cannot miss it. You cannot omit it. You cannot leave it out. A church without the Spirit of God is not a church. A church that exists. So there's a beautiful little white frame building with the steeple. But if the Spirit of God does not exist in that church, then it is not a church. It's a building. Understand the important place that the Holy Spirit plays. It will call. In the church in Antioch, there were what? There were people. And it even says that they were preachers and teachers whom the Holy Spirit of God not only called, but He equipped them. 
What's interesting is that each one is unique. If you were to begin to look at these names, we'll examine them a little bit closely in, in just a minute. They, they are very different. Some are kind of rough. We could say that they had a, a, a rugged enthusiasm to be truth tellers. They just kind of what? They just kind of shouted it out. This is their, their mindsets of doing it, their mentality. And then there's others who were more didactic, who were more academic in their teaching. We actually see five different names that are listed. Barnabas. This is the Barnabas that you're thinking about. Of. He is what? He's the great Jewish encourager. He is the son of consolation. Many references so far we have seen Barnabas as one who is full of the Holy Spirit. He is an expert and scholar in the Old Testament. That's Barnabas. We also have this one. His name is Simeon, who is called Niger. Interesting to note here that there is clearly no, no racial tensions. Um, there's no uh, ethnic uh, turmoil that exists within the early church. Why? It's pretty obvious. Simeon, who is called Niger, you realize what this literally translates? It's Simeon the Black. He's a black man. It doesn't really matter what color he is. It's about what? His heart. And I love this image. It speaks about Lucius, a Gentile believer, probably one of the early converts from Cyrene. Cyrene is Libya, present-day Libya. What that, that's North Africa. He's probably black, if not very, very dark in skin color as well. There's many in. Many in is someone who grew up what, with what we call a silver spoon in his mouth. He was a friend. He was in the court of Herod the Tetrarch. He was probably wealthy. He's probably very well educated. And then there's what? There's this other guy that we've heard of before. His name is Saul or Paul. Highly intellectual, a Pharisee formerly who is now destined to set the Gentile world on fire with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Five different men and they're leading, they're teaching, they're shepherding, they're discipling this local church. Although they are different, they have one clear calling. What's interesting is that for these potential missionaries, that they all were involved in their ministry where they're at. You know what I hear? I hear a phrase today that at one point in my life, eventually when I get out there, when I finish school and I graduate and I get out there, or when I move to the mission field, or when I begin to, then I will begin to do ministry. Then I will engage in ministry. That's not the way we do it. These people, all different backgrounds and settings, each unique in their giftedness, Okay, are ministering where they are at. Don't ever think that when I get to some exotic location, San Salvador, when I get to India or Indonesia, then I'm really going to be on fire. It's not going to happen. We begin just like these people to be faithful in doing the ministry here and now. As they're ministering, what does it say? Some were selected for another assignment. God clearly communicated. Look what he says in verse 2. Set apart for me. Everyone's involved. Five different people leading this church. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. There's a sense of immediacy. I want you to take these people. I want you to mark them. I want you to set them apart. It's to be done immediately. And also we understand the importance of it. I have called them. 
God himself begins to what? Knock on someone's heart and say, I am impressing myself on them to do the work of the gospel. This week I spoke with three different men. I, I will probably speak every single week at one time to each of these three men within our own body. 22 years old, 24 years old, and I believe 26 years old. Each of them are describing what it, what it feels like to be called by God into ministry. In their unique way, repeatedly, they have told me exactly the same thing, and they have said this, it feels like there is a weight that is pressing upon me. It's pushing me down. As I spoke with them, Aaron Badorf, Tom Clayball, my own son, Seth, each of them have described this weight. There's something that's heavy, it's pressing upon me. As one who has been called into ministry, I think of Pastor Nick, one who has experienced and, and sensed that call as well. I have reminded them, I, I, I understand, I know about that weight. And as I have told each one of them repeatedly, I want you to be prepared because that weight of having been called into the ministry, Spurgeon calls it a what? A, a sudden oughtness. I want you to be prepared, gentlemen, because that weight will never, ever leave you as long as you're on the face of this earth. God speaks and God calls. It's exactly what's happening in this particular church. As we look at this church, there's actually a couple points of application here. And it's interesting to note that what, whoever it is, if there's a certain group that is to be here and there's another group that is to be sent, we are to support that and we are to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, not to hold on to those that we would want to hold on to. But there's some passionate men or gifted men. We'd love to hold on to them and hug them and allow them to influence. If God is pressing upon them and calling them to be involved in ministry, then what do we do? We follow the example that is given right here in this church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, and we send them off. We equip them. We pray for them. We love them. It's also another lesson I think that's wonderful within the context of Acts chapter 13 is it also speaks about the leadership that exists within the church. It speaks about a plurality of leadership that exists within the church. Various backgrounds, some Jews, some Gentiles, some ordinary men, some ex ex extraordinary men. And yet every single one of them play a vital part. Let me tell you this, churches that are headed by a single man. Churches that are headed by a single personality always, always, always miss the mark. I want you to understand, I want you to praise God and thank God that there exists within our own body a plurality of leadership. That there are godly elders that assist that teach, that make disciples. They are God-exalting. They are Spirit-filled. They are, 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 are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to rejoice in that. We have to recognize that. That's what existed in here. As a local church, as the gospel continues to move forward, expect the Spirit of God to call. Secondly, expect the people of God to commission. 
expect this people of God to commission. In recognizing the voice of God, what did they do? It says very specifically, what, verses 3 and 4, after fasting, that's withholding, what? That which is most precious to us. We're going to go a period of time without food so that every time we hear that, that, that pang, that growling of our own stomach, we are committed to the Lord in prayer. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off and being sent out by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. The word in English appears the same. They sent them off and they're being sent out by the Holy Spirit. There's actually two different Greek words that are used here and they mean almost identical things. One is apolloo, the other one is ekpempo. They mean to, to loose them. It means to release them. It literally translates, sets them free. I want you to think of someone who's bound. Paul and Barnabas, and they cut the tethers, they cut the bond, and they set them free to do what God has called them to do. As Paul and Barnabas are commissioned from Antioch, I can very easily imagine a touching scene of many, many tears as they are laying hands on these men and sending them out. That is a difficult thing to do. Later on, we'll fast forward at our study in Acts chapter 20. And we see another very, very touching, emotionally tugging scene as Paul leaves this beloved church in Ephesus. It says that there is great weeping and Paul tells the church, I will probably never, ever, ever see you again. It says that they walk together to the ship. And it's great tears. It's that type of relationship. And that type of relationship, it's a reminder that, you know what? Some are called to stay. And some are called to go. But every single person, regardless of how unique or different we are, are involved that's what we have to be reminded of. This begins what is what is referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. There's three of them. This is the first time. He, in a sense, is commissioned and he is sent out. I remember reading somewhere, a very accurate truth. It says, I don't know who said it, but it was somebody really smart. And they said this, every believer must evangelize or they will fossilize. Every believer must evangelize or they will fossilize. We were out in Arizona a number of years ago to the Petrified Forest. The most boring place I've ever been in my entire life. Forgive me, honey. I know. And she's like, you really got to learn this and see this. It's the rocks. But the rocks that have actually been formed, what? They're fossilized trees in perfect detail. Bark. You can actually see the growth rings on these Trees, And what are they for? Do we build houses with them? No. They sit in the desert and we look at them. It's all we do. Fossils. That's, that's exactly what happens if we don't do what God has called us to do. May we understand the importance of God laying hands on you. Because all are involved with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, what else do we expect? We expect, to understand this, the enemy of God to confront. Do not be shocked. Do not be surprised when as you continue to minister that you just feel like you hit a brick wall. You need to expect that. 
any true spiritual ministry is going to experience opposition. We read what in Hebrews? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. We wrestle against wickedness in high places. Now hold on very quickly, but in verse 5 we see, after landing in Salamis, Paul and Barnabas visit Jewish synagogues, and a Jewish man is allowed to read and study the scriptures publicly, and so they take advantage of doing that in the synagogue. <coughs> in verse 6, they move from Salamis, working the way across the entire, entire island, and they end up in this little city of, of Paphos. And they meet in this particular city a false prophet. He's a Jewish man. He's actually a sorcerer whose name is Barhesus, or son of Jesus. Think of that. Somehow, he has been closely associated with another man. He's a Roman proconsul, leader, ruler. His name is Sergius Paulus, and he is described as a very intelligent man. Sergius Paulus is actually seeking to learn about the gospel. He calls for Paul and Barnabas to instruct him on the word of God. And yet there's this transition word in verse 8. It says, but... And there's this one Barhesus who is basically just used by Satan to thwart, attempt to thwart the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Realizing that Sergius Paulus was an earnest seeker of the truth. Paul and Barnabas get wind of this. One guy really wants to know about Jesus, the true Jesus. The other guy wants to halt the message. Okay, Satan will do whatever he can to halt the gospel. What is it? The Holy Spirit filling Paul... Understand when the Holy Spirit fills a man, this is not a guy who's to be reckoned with. Okay? It's not some patsy here. What, 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 what is it? He displays righteous indignation. Rightfully so. He displays a holy fury. I love this. Paul looked intently at him. You ever get a dirty look before? This is one of the looks that would destroy. Paul looks intently and he knows, Barhesus knows, I believe what's coming. It says he looks at him, fixing his eyes on him. Another translation says he accuses him of being full of deceit and fraud. And he says this, he says this, You son of the devil. You are being used as an instrument of the most evil one. Although this guy carries the title around Barhesus, son of Jesus. He is anything but a son of Jesus. He is what? He is a son of the devil. Paul curses him with blindness. And what? In a sense, it's, it's, it says that he is helpless. He's looking for people to, to guide him to take the very next step. Understand this, the enemy of God will be confronted, will attempt to confront the work of God, but you can be assured that he is always and has ultimately been defeated at Calvary. And he knows it. But we need to be aware of this. We need to expect this. Fourthly and finally, we also expect the word of God in verse 12 to convict. It tells us that Sergius Paulus was so impressed by this miraculous intervention from God that he puts his faith and his trust in the glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says very specifically, the proconsul, this is Sergius Paulus, 
the proconsul believed. There was a marked moment that he understands who he is as a sinner, cannot have a relationship with a holy God apart from this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he believed. Think, think about it. The mastery of God is so great that he actually uses the opposition of Abarhesus to display his own sovereignty. Even in hardship, even in heartache, all things, Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good. God will be glorified. The gospel will continue to go forward. This man becomes a believer, a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is what? He is the first recorded convert on Paul's first missionary journey. The church on mission. It's not about maintenance. Let's just hold on tight because it's really, really bad out there. It's not creating a subculture of safety for you and I. This is about what? Launching forward, about plunging, trusting Christ as the gospel goes forward. I was listening to a message uh, just yesterday from David Jeremiah. And he told the story about in 1966, then president of China, if you recall in history books, it was Mao Zedong. In 1966, that is the latter years of his actual rule in China, he was in the city of Nanjing and he burned to the ground a seminary that was teaching men to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stood over the ashes of that seminary and he says this, I quote, the Christian faith will be forever gone out of this country and it will never return. Now say tongue is dead. And the fastest growing church in the entire world is in China today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The gospel will go forward. I know at times that you could perhaps get discouraged or frustrated. You've been sharing the gospel. You've been praying for your neighbors or family members or friends. And, 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 and it may seem like you're just hitting a brick wall. Understand, God in His sovereignty has a plan. You be faithful. You continue to speak and share. You do whatever God has called you to do. If it's stay, then you be, then you be faithful as you stay. If it's, it's praying and sending others out, then, then, then you be faithful in praying and sending others out. But you can trust God. There is an incredible work that He wants to do. And I believe He wants to use you as a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just kind of wondering, like, what, what exactly is this? Let, let me tell you, on the authority of God's Word, you personally, whoever you are, whatever you have done, can have a relationship with God by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as the ones who what, paid the atonement for your sins. So you can have a relationship. You can be part of the church that will always go forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the promise of Scripture, and I thank you, Lord, for this example that is given of this group of believers in the church in Antioch. I thank you, Lord, for those who were faithful and stayed. I thank you, Lord, for those who were faithful and went. 
I pray, Lord, that we would examine our own hearts here, we would understand our own role, and that we would trust You. I pray, Lord, that we would not be shocked when Satan seeks to destroy. I pray, Lord, that we would understand the truth of the matter, that nothing will ever halt the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful. Help us to stay on track. Help us, Lord, to trust as we advance the cause of the kingdom of God through the people of God. Trusting on the Spirit of God. Father, bless our time. Bless, Lord, us as we conclude our our time in worship and song, as we learn and grow together, as we perhaps enjoy time together as family, enjoying your creation. May we focus on you. May we hear from you. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.